0: Oh yeah, what's up everybody? It is Trent McClellan back with episode 75 of the Generators Podcast here on the Comedy Here Often Podcast Network. That's a lot to say in one full breath, but I did it. Uh, How are you? What's going on? You're listening to this now. It is March. Hmm? Boom, we're into the third month of 2021, just like that. Just like that, you know, and I know for a fact, because I can see in some windows as I walk around Halifax, some of you still got your tree up. You still got the tree up. You're still hanging on to the last bit of Christmas. Take it down. It's over. Take it down. Let it go. Move on with your life. Okay. Put up a Patty's day bush. That's coming up real quick here. Get yourself a shitty little brush, some kind of small shrub and decorate that, you know, and keep the festive vibe going, but change up the holiday. Okay. Decorate it with beer bottles. I don't know what to tell you, but you got to put away the Christmas stuff. We're into March. It's time. I hope you're well. I hope things are going good. Uh, I, uh, I got back on stage, everybody, for the first time since October. I went to the comedy cove and did me some stand-up, did about 10 minutes, uh, mostly new stuff. I was trying out. And I gotta tell you, well, you know what I'm gonna say. Rusty. You know? You realize when you haven't been up there for five, six months, it's just God, trying to find your legs again is hard. It's really hard. And um, but 10 minutes flew by pretty quick. So that was weird. I thought it would feel longer, but it, it blew by pretty quick. So that's a good thing. And some of the new ideas did work. So that, that gives me hope. But oh, God, it's it, the, the, the sharpness definitely goes away when you've had that long of a layoff. So I got to get me on stage more often here now that the clubs are open for now anyway, and, uh, and keep working on material. So um, kept, keep jotting on ideas and and uh developing some stuff but uh it felt good to get back up there and and do my thing um after after a long long layoff I guess the last time I was on stage was a Halifax comedy festival in October I guess or some yeah October maybe um so yeah um but it felt good I mean I feel very fortunate and grateful to be back uh be able to get back up on stage and do that thing that I do and love so much um I hope you're good. I hope things are well wherever you're listening. Thanks to everyone for listening. And uh, if you're new, welcome. And uh, as I said, episode 75, this is an awesome episode. And I speak to former NHL player, Christopher Stieg. Chris has won two Stanley Cups with the uh, Chicago Blackhawks. He's played for several other teams, Calgary Flames, Toronto Maple Leafs, LA Kings, to name a few. And uh, we had a fantastic chat. We'd never met before, but um. Really, really fantastic conversation with him. He gives me some great insight as to his early days of developing his mindset and how he approached his career and what he wanted to accomplish. And uh, I think you're really going to find that very, very interesting. It was, it was some unique stuff that I haven't heard from, any, from anybody else before on the podcast. And I, I think you're really going to like it a lot. Um, tells us what he's up to now, what's going on now in the next chapter of his life after he retires. I'm always amazed by, you know, NHL players or former athletes cause they retire in their thirties, you know, like, Oh, career's done. That's it. That chapter of my life closed. And you know, you're in your mid thirties now and you know, you just got to move on to the next chapter of your life. So I'm always amazed to see what they're up to now. And Chris is busy and got a, uh, a business uh, started with some, with uh, some of his brothers and he gets into that. And, uh, yeah talks about some of the former teams he was on and and just a whole bunch of cool stuff so i think you will really enjoy this chat um so sit back enjoy yourself get your favorite beverage maybe a couple snacks uh turn it up real loud put it in your earbuds or put it on your old your speaker whatever it is i don't know and uh enjoy my talk with uh, chris Ristee. Chris Versteeg, as uh, it only took two weeks to make this happen due to uh, my inability to uh, navigate Zoom. And I'm going to be honest with you, Chris, I think people overuse Zoom. Do you find yourself now on like a thousand Zoom calls a day when it used to just be a phone call? People are text. And now it's like, we should Zoom about that. Chris, why don't we get together on a a Zoom meeting? And you're like, really? We got to Zoom everything?
1: What happened to FaceTime? You know, FaceTime's gone. Yeah, it's the thing of the past now. So it's good we have Zoom because now you can actually record a FaceTime and see your face where you don't really want to see it in, in that position.
0: <laughs> and you got evidence of what no. went down. Yeah. Like, yeah, you did say that, dude. Actually, yeah. I actually proof of you saying that, actually. You know? So
1: that's what, I, yeah, you don't like about Zoom, but here we are on Zoom.
0: It is, it is what it is. Uh, how does this day find you? What are you up to today?
1: Well, actually, I've been in. Uh, I'm in a startup right now with um, my two brothers and one of my good buddies. He's a coach for the Lethbridge Hurricanes, and so we're actually just in meetings all day, trying to with tech the tech team building out the the app we're building, um, talking with athletes, talking with coaches, parents, and all that of uh, what we're gonna make it look like, and and we have a really good. I guess grasp on what that's going to be, but just super busy in a new phase of my life, and then also with TV and, and radio here and there. So um, I didn't think I was going to be this busy, but uh, yeah, here I am.
0: <laughs> yeah, everyone thinks.
1: And I know I'm st- on my couch right now, so I don't yeah. look. But this, no, you look stressed. Is,
0: yeah, you look this, like you just spent.
1: Yeah, this is the startup office. Apparently, <laughs> you know, most most kids do it in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, and they're they're using a fold away bed and. Yeah, eating pizza for three dinners, but you do but hockey, uh, qu- hockey
0: equipment. Valley is where you're doing yours. It's just exactly in the back and yep. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it looks that's what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. Here you go. You get lockers there, stuff. It's like you do. Is that where you do interviews too? Like, they, like microphones put in the face there while you're taking the skates off the kids. And
1: yeah, stuff. When, when my kids have a bad game, I scream at them in front of their lockers. <laughs>
0: so. You were minus seven. Yeah. how do you explain that how do you explain that on the sixth goal you just didn't back check or you just gonna phone it in or dad I just not supper
1: I'm, I'm four <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm four and I use a chair to skate yeah. get off my back old man um, did you were you thinking uh, to go to go into like while you were playing or is this something that's just kind of recently fallen in your lap or were you thinking about that towards the end of your career oh I lost your sound dude Ooh, we lost the sound. What's going on? I can't hear you. Check my speaker. Jesus. There we go. Do you, All right. do you hear me now? There, there you are yeah I keep the problems going could, what do I care I could hear you the
1: whole time yeah you're going to smash this computer right? this,
0: this thing's going I'm on the 16th floor and I'm going to skip this thing like a rock I'm not lying to you this is going two blocks up there's an old lady <laughs> you can see her already she has no idea what's coming and I'm going to give her a quick I'm yelling four and I'm launching this fucking thing that's what's going to happen so yeah. if you read about a story of a man in Halifax losing his shit you're like yeah I think you know was behind that um, so <laughs> <laughs> so you uh, yeah the question again you, you had your eyes on this kind of towards the end of your career, or you didn't? Well, two
1: years before I was done, well in the NHL, Ryan Leslie actually came up to me. Uh, he's with Sportsnet. Yeah, yeah I know Ryan. And, and he asked what I want to do after hockey. So I said I really don't know. Uh, I thought of things, maybe do media. And he goes, Yeah, I think you should try media. Um, when you're done, let me know. So uh, about two, a year and a half later i got a hold of him and he brought me to calgary and i did a couple of games on sportsnet and so that kind of that path was blazed kind of through ryan leslie getting me to do it and then starting to get repetition so it's not like i'm on nightly and i don't plan to be on every night i like to be on once a week is my goal um i would love that to be highlighted once a week um but also you know do some radio hits and do other things because you know it's it is a lot to do tv every night so those guys like elliot and them they're they're grinding away man they got to watch each and every game and i I try to watch all i can too but so it's it's a it's a full-time and some job what those guys do to be on tv every night uh, as you would know yeah
0: it's amazing Uh, ron mcclain was on the podcast a few weeks ago and he said uh Someone told him in radio when he first started that it it takes 10 hours of prep for every hour on air. Yeah. Christ. But he's like, it's turned out to be a pretty true formula. It's insane. Well,
1: And and Ron's a guy that I'm like, is he scripted? Yeah. Like that's all in his head. And I don't know how he pulls it out when the lights are on, because I know when the lights are on, when I'm done saying my piece, I'm like, I forgot to say half the stuff I think I wanted to say (laughs) where where in radio, you can always come back around, you know, if you don't get your point across, you can always, you know, and on TV there's someone talking in your ear and you're like, what the hell? And then you kind of, you lose your train of thought, the lights, and then you're like live and you're like, I can't, I got, want to get my piece out. And then there's like, there's a screen in front of you playing and you're just like, there's a lot going on. So And you're supposed to stare one direction, you know, so. It's
0: insane. It's insane. I remember I did uh, live hits for breakfast television once in Calgary. And uh, producers in my ear, like Trent, 30 seconds. You have 30 seconds. And then throw back to the studio. And I'm like in my head trying to count 30. Some kid's answering a question I just asked them at the YMCA about programs. I'm not hearing a word he's saying because I'm in my head 29, 20, like trying to figure out how much is 30 seconds to get back to the studio. So it's all this stuff. And you're right, pros like Ron McClain and Elliot, it's like it just seems like just guys talking. But you realize there's a million things going on in their earpiece while they're doing it. It's a skill. It's a definite skill.
1: It's a huge skill. And it's it's very uh, when you watch them live, you're like, wow, this is just something remarkable, because when you put yourself in their shoes, you're like, this is insanely hard. And, you know, they've been doing it for years, but just to have that much information where you're on the spot, you can bring it to life and and speak your piece is something that I guess that's why they're they're paid the big bucks and do what they do for as long as they have, because they can do that
0: for sure yeah it's also like you said too it's, it's like sport i guess in a lot of ways and stand-up comedy that i also do it's like it's just repetition and the more reps you get in the yeah. more comfortable you feel the less self-conscious you are and it just becomes natural but i think that adrenaline is always there like when you know you're alive and you know 20 yeah seconds, it's like that you're still there's still your body. body's like all right something's about to happen you know
1: you feel- sometimes my heart rate i'm like holy shit my heart's gonna <laughs> pound out of my chest like and then as the show goes on it kind of it, it, you ease into it, but that first hit I always do is always my worst. I find just because my heart rate elevates and I'm like, "Yeah, okay, I got to be on," you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wonder if people had the same feeling back in the day because now, like we talked about earlier, it's like everything is recorded, right? Everything is now going to be a meme or some clip, and you're like, oh Christ, that's going to be." That's going to be played forever. Whereas back in the day, I guess people were still doing live stuff. But if you f- messed up, unless someone heard it in the moment, no one else would ever see it. Whereas now it's like, oh, shit, well, yeah. you, you miss talk. It's like, well, this is going to get played forever on YouTube. Oh, yeah. you, know?
1: you could be like the weather guy in Lethbridge where only people from Lethbridge hear you speak. <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: And then that night, if you screwed up, it's on Twitter. And there's somebody in Germany laughing at you. <laughs> <laughs> right? It, it, it's like. It's horrible. It, it's horrible and it's. It it puts more pressure on you to be perfect.
0: Yeah, it does, which is not realistic at all. People and it's not mess not. up all the time. Uh, I always think about the people, the athletes, you know, from like basketball, soccer, hockey, who become part of the opening montage of a of a show. You know, where it's like you know you're getting your defenseman, and you're getting walked and turned inside out. Like whoever oh, yeah. whoever the defenseman was, you know, the one Lemieux scored where he just. Like, was it against the North Stars? Where he just the stars. Was, it, was. Yeah,
1: was it Tavares? Yeah. Who was I, it? I remember Ray Bork oh, when right. he turned Ray Bork, and yeah. yeah. And then there's the North Stars one too, but the Ray Bork one was like Ray. Ray's like one of the best all time, and he's constantly getting turned in. And I'm, yeah. <laughs>
0: like that's the clip you got to play. You can't yeah. show me lifting a cup with Colorado. You got to play this thing in yeah. forever. Like so, you know that's that's the thing about it. You just move on. That's tough for a kid these days. I would imagine coming up with that. We never, you and I wouldn't have had that in no. childhood. Thinking you're going to sing at a talent show and like. You know what I mean? Like, okay, if yeah. you're in this gym, you're hearing me butcher Guns and Roses, but now if you're singing, it's like some, some asshole's got his phone. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to post this online, yeah. and that's it. Now you're bullied for the rest of your high school years, you know? Like, it's insane.
1: Yeah, and it's also, it could go the other way, too. Like, before you'd have to go to an agency, get seen, do the work. Now you could literally sing in your bedroom, and <laughs> you could be worth a billion dollars in 10 years, right? It's It's insane. Yeah. Billy, Billy it's all,
0: Eilish. yeah, Billie Eilish made her album, full, her full album. The first one, I think, was in her bedroom. Just, yeah, I'm going to sing my stuff and record it here.
1: Put, yeah, her and her brother. So um, everything's about content now, and that's, that's where it's heading, and yeah. that's where it's going to be in the future. It's all short clip content, keep people intrigued, and yeah. and that's good, how it it's a, is.
0: It's a good name for a podcast for you, Intrigued with Versteegue. And, uh, I'm going to write that down because yeah, right in case you should ever do that, but also so I can claim royalties at some point down the road. Um, 15%. Talking, <laughs> 15 for sure. That's standard. I'm giving you a deal on that, Chris. That's, yeah. I could, I could, you know, so, uh, I was talking to uh, a bunch of student athletes at my former university, Memorial university in Newfoundland. I'm from Cornerbrook, corner Newfoundland. So, uh, played soccer there for five years. And so did this zoom conference with uh, a bunch of the athletes so all their sports, of course, are shut down, and some of the students are graduating. And I was thinking about talking about adversity and kind of the next stage of life, but also like just continuing to get better regardless of uh, of what the cards are dealt, you know. And I well, it was finding amazing because when you talk to hockey players in particular, you guys seem to lock in on a career path pretty early. Like and you know, like you're, you're young people, but you're like, yeah, I'm going to make it for you. When did you go? Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try and play in the NHL. Like this is a real thing. It's tangible. I think I can do this. When did that happen for you? Like what age and where were you at in life?
1: Well, I thought from when I could remember, I was going to play hockey now, whether it was in the NHL, I think I always thought I could play in the NHL. I, I had a belief. I didn't know if I necessarily thought it was real. Cause you know, back in the day, it's a lot different now. There was the only time you watched highlights were on 30 minute loops. Right. Mm-hmm. And you might not even see it for 30 minutes or so. It's it just, When you see the NHL players back in the day, when you've seen that, it wasn't even like it was from this world. For me, it was when I was young, it was about playing in the WHL from a young age. And then if I could play in the WHL, maybe I could get an education and and things like that. And if I make the NHL, well, I got to fly to Mars to do it, but it's (laughs) going to be it's going to be an incredible experience. But I remember just, I have always had a lot of belief in myself and my ability. And I remember when I was 12 years old, um, Rob Klinghammer has also played in the NHL. We grew up since we were five years old together. We were sitting in a truck with his dad and his dad said, so Chris, what's your backup plan in life? And I'm like, I don't got a backup plan. And he goes, well, what if you blow out your knee? And I'm like, then I blow out my knee. And he goes, well, what if you can't play again? And I'm like, well, then I'm not have, I don't have a backup plan, and I'll figure it out when I get there. Right? Probably not the smartest way to go about things, and it, it most likely wasn't. But that's just kind of who I am and who I was, is when I seen something, it's very hard to focus on other things. My whole focus was on hockey, and and I'm happy it was because it turned out great. But to get there, it was very rocky. It wasn't a straight shot for me. I think when I truly thought I could make the NHL, even I I didn't even fully think I believed it when I was drafted to the NHL, Mm -hmm. because then my career kind of took a bit of a downturn in the WHL. But when I fully thought I could play in the NHL was when I was 20 years old and um, I went to Providence, Rhode Island, and I went from being like, I, I put on a lot of weight and muscle and I went to camp that year and I had the best camp like I could have ever had. And I was playing against top end NHL guys, had a great camp, but they sent me to the AHL. And then I was one of the top 10 scores in the league as an AHL player at 20 years old. And um I was just like, man, the NHL, like I can finally do this. Where I feel like that was the first time I ever had like an actual belief, like, wow, I'm just as good as these guys, and yep. I think I can do this. But To say that I believe, like I always had belief, but to say that I really could think about it, I don't think I thought about it truly till I was 20 and I got a taste what it was like to push against an NHL player and to play against them and match myself.
0: Yeah, that's interesting too, because I think when you go to another level, I found that too in any sport or even in profession, it's like you get a certain level of confidence playing at a certain level, but you go up a level or two, and then suddenly you look around and everyone's got the same talent you have. Yeah. It might be bigger, faster, stronger. In my world, it's like, like oh man, that guy's that funny or whatever. And you're just like, Whoa shit, you're getting measured pretty quick. And it takes a bit of resilience to go, all right, like, do I can I go inside myself and just be better? And for you, putting on muscle, I'm sure you walked in like yeah, I, have done the work and I'm ready to compete here with these guys. Like, you know, but you've had to put the work in ahead of that to just change your game and put, you know, add another weapon, I guess.
1: That's exactly it. And, um, I was such a skinny kid and I took it seriously, but I remember at 1920, there was a switch in my brain where I told myself to like, I, I remember saying, don't ever tell yourself you suck again. That was number one. Right. And I remember that conversation with myself. And the second biggest conversation I had with myself at 20 years old was you deserve to make that money. Right. So I would see NHLers and players kind of around me getting big contracts, doing great things. And I used to tell myself I don't deserve it, right. you know, like in a weird way. I was like, wow, maybe I don't deserve it. You know, maybe I don't deserve it. So then I tried to flip the script on myself that year. And I was like, I'm going to just keep telling myself I deserve it. And and I deserve, you know, good things through hockey. Like if I play well, I deserve to get paid. Right. I deserve to be there where again, before I just, I always remember I would have that self doubt in that sense where I didn't think I deserved it. And so that at 20 years old is when I mentally flipped the switch. And, and that's where I feel like I went to another level.
0: That's interesting, man, because I, I, I think I did, Like my grandparents phrased me, we didn't come from money and stuff. And I think when I started to make some money in entertainment, I, I think part of me had that too. It was like, Jesus, like, this is uh, really, I just do that thing. And this is what you pay me. Yeah. I, you, you almost got to give yourself permission to like, let it in and go, yeah, that's the, that's the world you're in. And at that market, this is what that pays. Like, it's, it's hard to, you look at someone like, you know, working a jackhammer on the street and you're like, what does that guy make? It's like, but it's two different, it's apples and oranges. You're in two different worlds. And so you can't compare the two, if that makes sense. No,
1: no, you, you can't compare the two. And, and you also realize that, you know, in entertainment and doing these things, you're in a you're very, you're, you're privileged, right? You're, yep. you're very lucky to be in this situation that not many people are. So you got to keep your level of expectation and who you can talk about this. You know, you can't just go talk to anyone about it, yeah. right? You got to talk to the, the players and the that people are, that, that, are in it. that are in it. And yep. because that's just how it is. And, um, but yeah, it's, it, it, I remember again at 20, yeah, 21, um, there's another kind of self-talk too um, that also flipped the script. I got to remember, I was, I was going on a little tangent here, but that those, those mental hurdles for me were were really it.
0: Did you, did you talk to someone about that? Like in terms of like, did you go see a sports psychologist or a therapist or something that they kind of led you down to flipping it? Or did you discover it on your own?
1: So it was my trainer, Trevor Hardy. He, uh, at 20 years old, we used to do these like tests, like you would hold your arm out, and if you say yes, your arm stays straight. Okay. And if you say no, your arm actually falls. So what? it sounds funny. It's crazy. But I swear I was, I was in his basement. This is where it all started. And I was in his basement and I would hold my arm out and he goes, do you deserve to play in the NHL? And I said, yes. And my arm fell. And I'm like, so internally I didn't believe it. Right. So my arm fell. And then he's like, do you believe you could make that, you know, that money one day that the NHLers do or those guys next to you? And I said, yeah, of course and my arm fell. So then he did, he started doing this like psychological rewiring of my brain almost like to make me truly internally believe it. Yep. And I, and, and I swear to you, like 20 minutes later we did it again and my arm was stiff as a board. Like, he, he was like pulling my arm down as hard as he could and my arm wouldn't go down. So it sounds crazy (laughs) and it sounds like just complete madness. But I think it was just about making me, whether that works or not, it's just about making you actually believe you can do it. So Trevor Hardy, again, he was my, my, my strength coach, but he was also very big for me on my mental skills. And that's where, again, when I started to tell myself, I believe I can do that. I believe I can do these things I feel that's that was a hurdle for me, and and I'm back to the point. Sorry, when I was 21, is I remember back when you're talking about the construction worker and everything. My dad, he he sells farm equipment, and uh, this this is another big piece in my mental uh, resilience. I think was my father because I called him when I was having like a bad week, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I just I'm not playing good, and I you know, what should I do? He goes, well, you should quit and come home and sell tractors with me. <laughs>
0: There's an option for it. Yeah.
1: And I was like, why well, aren't you going to tell me like things will be better. He goes, no, I'm just going to tell you the truth. So I think there was also that level of um, mental like resilience pounded into me through honesty for my father. So those are two kind of things that worked hand in hand uh, for me. Um, but yeah, that at 20 was again with my trainer where I believe it all kind of shifted.
0: That's fascinating stuff because I think, Two, same thing in entertainment, same thing in sports. When things are going well, it's easy. Like, right? Do you believe? You're like, yeah, sure, I believe. Cause the, there's no obstacles. You get an injury, you get cut, you're not getting the minutes you want, you're not on a power play. You you know what I mean? Like for me on this end, it's like you don't get the comedy festival, you pitch a show to a network, they decline, like whatever it is, you're like you get kicked repeatedly. So that resilience has to be hardened and galvanized in order to get you, in order to keep going. Cause when shit's going well easy smooth sailing anybody can do it you feel like but it's, yeah time is in the dark where you're like shit like do i do i have what it takes to make this and doubt can creep in pretty quickly pretty
1: quickly. yeah and that, i think it's also you find out um to expand on that is which teammates you want to be around more too and the people yeah. you want to be around more because you actually find out when times aren't good yeah. who still stays the same and who's still the same Right, um and it's hard to be a good person when times are bad or when your team's losing consistently, so yeah. that also those are the those are the type of players you can tell that have you know probably been through the ringer, they understand or they like you said the comedians they've been through it, they understand um, what the rock bottom looks like and just to deal with it and still be you and, and go yeah. with it. <laughs>
0: I had uh, Commodore was on the podcast a couple of years ago and uh, um, Staging's been on and I've talked to other athletes in other sports about this and I'm interested to see what your perspective is on it you know like when uh, teams win quite often the big thing is like you know we were like brothers or you know we were like sisters and we were like a family and uh, you know I played on teams in soccer where I was like yeah we were tight and didn't win shit I had other teams that were tight and we won a lot I had other teams that were clicky and you know, it, so to me, it was all over the map all the time. And I'm interested to see what you think. Do you think like that whole thing about chemistry and I get it, you know, you need to be able to know where you got to go and X's and O's and all that stuff. But like that type of family vibe, brotherhood, do you, do you believe in that? Or is that just something people say, you know, when you win, it sounds nice. It's a good sound bite. But, you know, what do you think about that?
1: Well, it, it all stems from the culture. I believe the culture of the team sets and not everyone in the room on the teams I've won with. have have liked each other right but mostly everyone and everyone respects each other and that's the biggest thing like not everyone's going to go out and do things together but at least when you come to the rink you have a common interest in winning and you have a common respect for each other and the team you know the 2010 stanley cup team for me is i think that was almost like a dream like that was truly like 20 guys that all cared for each other we hung out together we went for dinners together you know after we'd have beers together we were just like that was something i mean again might only come along when the oilers did it i'm not saying we were the 84 oilers or anything like that but yeah that that was truly the camaraderie was there. We were young kids together in the minors. We, a lot of us came to the NHL meeting Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze and Brent Seabrook and Duncan Keith. We all were kids then in the NHL. We grew together to winning Stanley cups. And then it's just like, so that, that was there, but also I've won on, you know, in 2015 too, where it's a tight team, not the same. Um, I felt not the same tightness as the 2010 team, but we still won a championship because I think the culture was set from those top guys that when you come into this team, this is what you expect. This is what we are, what we expect of you. And this is what we're going to hold you accountable with. So I think that culture was set in Chicago in a really strong way that it carried it through. And also guys are older. So like, like, I, like when I came back, it's not like I'm going to go out and hang out with the guys after a game. I got a wife and, you know, and a kid by that point in 2015. Right. I, my wife was pregnant, sorry, at that point, And I just got married that year. So um, a lot of us had changed our lifestyles and, and all that. So um, that that can change the chemistry of a team, too. But I think the culture being set and everyone having, you know, a simple res- you know respect for each other is where it has to be set. And that's what the strongest teams all have.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think if you show up on the day and, and everyone's plugged in and dialed into what you have to do. But um, yeah, I've always wondered about that because you hear especially those Blackhawk teams that you played on. <clears throat> I remember watching that 2010 team, man. I was like, the swagger this team has, it's like, why how are they how are they that confident? They're that young and they're just going around after every whistle. There was face washes and oh, yeah. shit. And I was like, who are, who are these guys who just blow in? It was like just run and gun. And but you could tell there was a swagger. And you're like, that's a that's a gang. Like, that's not even a team. That's a gang that are walking around like we yeah. own this place. Regardless of what rank you came into. Yeah, we, we we're going to win. We, we had that confidence. And so you think that stems from a cultural thing.
1: I think it does. Our team, that team had more swagger than any team I've ever played on. That was the perfect word in it. And it started in the 2008 nine season for real. Like that year, I remember in the 2009 playoffs, we're playing Calgary and everyone's like, don't go at a Ginla. Don't wake the bear. You'll fire him up. Right. You'll fire him up. But what we said is, is like, we're going to go at him every shift. Right. So we're like, screw it. Like, we're not just going to. So every shift again was on the ice. We were hacking them, tripping them, going at him, chirping, you know, just like getting at them. Yeah. And we're like, let's wake the bear and let's see what happens. But we're, we can't change us, right? We can't change how we play. Right. So again, still had a great series. I think he had, you know, he had a bunch of goals and he had a great series. <laughs> But we ended up winning that series because I believe we didn't change our mindset. Yeah, and then okay. we went into Vancouver the next series, the same thing. We're like, let's go at Matt Sundin. let's go at Ryan Kessler, let's go at the Sadines, who cares, you know. Right. Um, there's they're Hall of Famers, but we didn't see it that way. We just felt like we were here to win and we didn't care who was on the other side. And that that whole arrogance and kind of cockiness. It started there and it just snowballed into that 2010 team where you're right we literally were on the ice and i don't know if i ever like i was benched a lot and i never had great games all the time but even during then i don't know if i ever went on the ice one time that year where i was like we're gonna lose
0: right you know, like just deep down belief and we'll figure
1: yeah so
0: <clears throat> it's funny rio ferdinand plays you know you play for manchester united in soccer and stuff and He talked about, you know, there's times when he felt Alex Ferguson, the manager, got the tactics wrong, where it was like they'd go play Barcelona on the road, and he felt they were too defensive, and so you're just letting Barcelona have the ball the whole game and it's wave after wave of attack. And I think you're right. There's something to be said for, like, we're going to front foot regardless of who we play. We are not going to give too much respect to the opposition to let them. Because I I think – because even when I played soccer, like, that opening start of any game to me is crucial. Like, that opening five minutes dictates – how much respect you give somebody, how much room you give them. And if someone grows in confidence in the first minute, first shift, first couple of games for first few minutes of a the game, that they might go lights out the rest of the game. But if you can establish that in the first few minutes of like, no, we're not backfooting at all. And we have, no, we actually have, we have less respect for you than you think we should have. I think that gets in people's heads, the opposition's heads.
1: It's a psychological game that that aspect. And I think that's where Joel Quenville really comes into the equation is We had a a team with a lot of high hockey IQ. So I think these are adjustments we could make, which I don't see enough teams do today, Mm -hmm. is a two-man four-check. And then, you know, five minutes in, you don't like the two-man four-check? Well, you can change to a one-man or a hybrid. We had two four-checks. We were always continually using all the time. And that's the only time I've ever really done it was in that 2008 2009-10 season. Every other team I played on, you would four-check one way for like, months right like one way
0: yeah
1: and then maybe at the end of the game you'll forecheck two guys with d down the wall right well Quenville had us start games checking two men in the opposition's building sometimes because they were supposed to come at us at home right but he's like well let's try to go to them or sometimes if if we we're playing on a back-to-back we would just forecheck one guy in the first shift they in the first 10 minutes of a game Safe because players. he's like let's save some energy yeah. we're in the back-to-back and, and again, that comes with, I think that's a testament to the hockey IQ our team had. We just had so many players that were very adaptable and versatile, so we could do those things. Yeah. But again, the, the last bunch of my career, I'm always like, why are we not forechecking two guys at the start of a game, yeah. in a big game? Yeah. Why are, And why have we been doing the same forecheck for two years, or one year, or two yeah. months, right? Yeah. Let's Let's do something different, or let's do something. So Quenville is very good at doing different things at different times of the game when he feels it. Or if he—if we're doing a one-man forecheck and he doesn't like our energy and he doesn't think we're in it, boom, two-man forecheck, we would change, the whole bench would know. Or at the next TV timeout, we would know, and boom, that's what we would do. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a big coaching task to make sure everyone's on the board if you're going to make that many um, alterations within a game. But it was just something I remember being there. We were so tuned into it
0: yeah yeah it makes sense because the other thing too i realize now we talked about technology at the beginning of this thing but i think with regards to scouting the opposition like people know what you do it's not like you know you're yeah. not gonna surprise anyone on the day for the most part but if you're changing it up and now it's two men now it's one man it's like if i'm a d going over the boards i'm like shit i don't know what they're w- which one is this they're bringing at us this time you know what i mean like, exactly you change it. football teams do it all the time and you change the defense and the quarterback's like shit like well, what is this we're looking at, you know? And it's just, and, and you're making decisions in split seconds. So that could be enough to cough one up or someone to, you know, throw it out in the slot blindly. And, and, uh, but he had enough belief in you guys to go, yeah, I trust that you guys will execute it in the game, in the middle of a game.
1: And, and that's exactly it. And and that's what the game is. It's split second decisions and, and- if you can throw someone off just enough at the right time, you're going to get your chance to score and execute on it. And we had the guys who could execute on those chances too, especially our top guys. They're all hall of famers as well, right? With Marion Hobsa and Hayes and Keith and Kane. So we had the personnel to back it up, but it was just, it was, you know, really good coaching. I wouldn't say he's got the X's and O's necessarily down pat, Few because i think he likes those top guys to play a little more free yeah. so that's why his top players generally you know they play a free game they offensively attack he doesn't like turnovers in certain areas of the ice but he doesn't clutter the brain where sometimes if you're cluttering superstars brains they can't play it's just yeah. like telling a kid 10 different things analytically or whatever and then all of a sudden it looks like he can't skate well too much information isn't always a good thing
0: yeah. Well, I've heard that too from other people saying that a lot of teams now, and players in particular, are overcoached, right? Like, they're giving right. so much data. So, the days like, when do they get to use their natural instincts? When do they get to just go, okay, well, when do I just get to play and use my skill set going forward when there's so much shit in here? Uh, and I think there's truth to that too. Um, so, you get, I want to talk about your time in Calgary. And I know that team right now. I mean, I've, I've lived there for 17 years and. You know, that team is under the heat right now. There is, you know, <clears throat> it can this group get it done? They're too soft. Uh, you know, okay, they have a good regular season, get in the playoffs, shit to bed. So it's like, you know, it, it's coming from all angles right now. They just had a rough stretch. I guess they won last night, beat the Leafs 3 nothing. But it's like, you play with a lot of those guys. Do guys feel that from the outside? Do you feel that pressure? Do you feel like, you know, media are buzzing about it? Um... How would you approach it? If you're still a member of that team, what's, what's your approach to it?
1: Well, yeah, if, if you look at that team, they're, they're definitely not soft and I've heard that a couple of times. And if you look at their stars, they have the players, they have the pieces, you know, to be a good team, a really good team where I watch them. if I'm talking about Calgary first, but when I watch them going back to the Quindle situation, they they do a lot of like line adjustments, but they don't put the right pieces together. I never find that's number one, and number two, there's not enough um, like players playing in their right positions. All the, or not positions, but situations on the ice. Meaning, why is Sean Monahan always taking defensive zone faceoffs? Why isn't Backland? It just seems like common sense, and it is common sense. That's how it should be. Right. So why are we doing it the opposite? And and what is our forecheck in the first ten minutes? Where. I feel they're, they're a little too predictable. They're constantly too predictable. So I actually think a little bit right now it's on Ward. I think he needs to have a plan. He needs to give the players the plan. He needs to switch things up, but also put the right pieces together. So I think that's that. But now when you ask me if I was, so that's what I would do, but as a player, if I was still there, yeah, you'd feel the heat. I mean, you have your family there, you know, your friends, whoever's on Twitter, or Instagram, they remind you all the time of what's going on, yeah. who, who hates you, who's writing what. So as much as you don't want to hear it, you hear it and that's just how it is. And I, I don't know I, I have a friend, one friend, He always seemed to tell me the worst article written about me at the worst time. His name, his name's Ryan, and you know who you are. And like I would be like, I'd be say if I was on a heater, I'd be like five game point streak. He'd be like, man, you got five points, five games, keep it going. Great job. Don't don't mess up. And I'd be like, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill you. You just jinxed me, you know? And we're like or if, or if I was playing bad, he goes, man, this writer's writing trash about you right now and yada, yada, you know, <laughs> so, up. So you hear it and you feel it. And, um, not that you're reading all the articles, but it, it, I mean, there's a lot of heat on those guys right now. And I do hope they pull through because, um, I, I love a lot of the guys on that team, really good people and really good players and they deserve a lot, but I'm putting a lot of it on the coaching staff right now. They need to do better in that sense.
0: I hear you. Yeah, it's uh, because I asked staging about this. I said like that concept of a team quitting on on the coach. And I'm not implying that the Flames have done that, but I, I really do know like in soccer teams that I played on, like if I didn't totally agree with the system that we were playing or a lineup or why is that guy on the left when he should be like that shit erodes you after a while that erodes your confidence and like what we're doing here like do we is there a plan like i think it does affect your play i'm not saying you ever quit and go like and ah, just not showing up today but i think sometimes there, there is that little bit of just hold back in, in kind of what you're doing because you don't agree with tactics or a lineup i don't know if the same thing applies for you guys you know when
1: you're well playing. yeah it, it eats away at you and especially when times aren't good so if you see someone in a situation or a position you'd like to be in or you think you should be in or you see something tactically that you don't like and it's not working and it's not changing. then when things aren't going good, it just compounds the negative, the negativity compounds. It goes into your play. It can sometimes come out in the, you know, whether it be a screaming match with a coach or, you know, another player. And that's just how it is. Um, but it's, you're right. It, it can eat at you. And that's, that's generally why you, you see those altercations when you do.
0: Yeah. So you leave the NHL you spend some time, were you in Russia for a little bit?
1: I was in Russia for six weeks and then I came home and four months roughly and then I went and finished that season in Sweden
0: okay what did you find because you you hear stories about the KHL and I'm like is it an absolute gong show or is it what is it I don't know I watched the clips and I'm like I don't know what I'm what is this and you hear stories about travel and stuff what is your what was your experience like over there
1: Well, when I got there, like the guys are great. You know, we had, we had Max Talbot, David Darnay, Cody Franz. And so we had really good players there, really good NHLers that, you know, played in the KHL. So it was great for me to have them around, especially for the six weeks I was there. Um, But when I got there, I had like a stomach issue and I was like sick. And then I go, so three and then I played a few games. I wasn't, I mean, I was cramping up every game. I don't know what the hell was going on. And then about three weeks after that, I got shingles. Wow. So I had shingles on my back. And then about two weeks after that, I was coming back. And then I remember my kids weren't there. And I was just like, I got to go home. And it had nothing to do realistically with the hockey club or any of that. It was, I was away from my family. I was stressed. I was sick. And it basically just came down to... Uh, I just wanted to go home and, and then I tried to get my release and then they wouldn't give me my release uh, because it's just, they want, and they wanted you to pay out your release. And because I wanted to go finish the season with my brother, maybe. And that didn't happen. But then what happened was, is a Swedish team paid out my release so I could get my release back because of the IHF. Yep. Um, making me or otherwise they were going to suspend me so then i went to sweden and then i finished the season in sweden and got to play with my good friend in sweden and had a had a good little finish there
0: it's kind of nice eh? when because i guess you know players obviously the goal is the nhl nhl but it's, it's kind of cool that there are that many leagues now that you can you can actually kind of bounce around a little bit and kind of see a little bit of the world right like what was the time like in sweden
1: yeah, it's great, and, and even back to Russia, it was it was fine. It was great living there. Um, I didn't have any I- issues or situations with living. I lived in a really nice place, mm-hmm. really nice complex. Um, the the traffic is rough there. Like it's a lot of traffic. It's crazy. Really. Um, um but for Sweden, it's a lot like Canada too. Right. Yeah. very similar. People are super nice as well. The teammates were great. Um, the team, we're a good team. We lost in the playoffs, the the second round of playoffs, so we didn't go where we needed to go. And that team's generally a team that needs to try to win every year. But all in all, it's just a beautiful country, great people as well. And uh, I really enjoyed my time there. And I was fortunate that I wasn't sick or hurt in Sweden, so I got to play, which wasn't the case in Russia. I really wish I was healthy and I got to play in Russia
0: yeah it's it's uh it's not easy man when you physically don't feel well like anything at all it's like if you have any kind of pain or discomfort and also for you if you're that far away from home you're missing you know missing your kids it's like it's really hard to worry about you know to worry about x's and o's and where i'm supposed to be on the power play and stuff like that that stuff obviously doesn't matter in those moments
1: no it, it, it doesn't it's especially at this age when you're younger you can kind of put those things behind you yeah. and it's also the ups and downs. So like if you haven't scored in a couple games or you're not feeling good on the ice, you have that stress compounding. So there's just a lot of things that add up, especially when you get older, if you're not in the right situation or if you're not healthy. And I wasn't healthy the last seven, eight years of my career. So it just internally, I was getting eaten away. I felt, and then it, it came out, I wasn't playing the way I needed to play. So yeah. it's, it's really hard to perform when either you're hurt or you're going through all that.
0: Now, have you played with people you genuinely did not like? Did you, you really like, go sitting down and you're looking across, and you're like, man, if I wasn't on this team, I would cross check that guy in the lips. But we, he's here, he's on my team, and uh, I'm going to suck it up and be a good teammate. Does that happen?
1: For the most part, I think I've been lucky. I've liked pretty much every single teammate I've had. Do I say we're best friends? There's no chance, right? There's right. no way you've been best friends with all of them. But um, to look across and ever felt that way, I, I can't say I have. Now there's been coaches I felt that way about. <laughs> but, you actually, gave a shot to and like, did you just
0: hit? No, I was trying to
1: get by. Yeah, sorry, I was After like,
0: there. sorry. Okay, yeah, but with the stick. Apologize, bud.
1: <clears throat> I think that goes the way for most players, though. Uh, is that they they might feel more towards like a coaching staff or a couple coaches that way. Then um, the same for me again, I uh, like, have I loved everyone? I wouldn't say I loved, but I would never think I looking back, I couldn't just say one guy off the top of my head that I disliked. It was just, right. I respect you as a hockey player and a person. And I probably won't have dinner with you. Yeah. Um, or have beers if we have a couple beers, but it's, that's not the case. If we were to sit down ever at a place and have them, I would gladly have one with you. Right. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't like a guy, like I'm never going to have dinner with him or talk to him. So yeah. I, I truly, truly believe I've never felt that way about anyone as a player.
0: Yeah. I hear what you mean. It's going to be rough though, too, because you guys are in such close quarters for such a long time, you know, in terms of players, coaches, training staff, all that stuff. And you have so many different personalities. Everyone's alpha male. Everyone's, you know, this is, there's high stakes here. Everyone's trying to keep jobs. And I would imagine like when you're not getting, you're not getting a love from a coach. It's like, there's a lot of different ways to play that, right? You can go to your agent, you can sulk, you can bitch and moan. You can go, I'm going to work harder. Um... What was your approach in general? Were coaches fairly open about, "Hey, Chris, come in, sit down. Here's the situation. This is why you're not playing, whatever." Or did it vary from coach to coach? Like, what's the communication level like there, or is it kind of like, "Nah, you're just frozen out, and you're just kind of sitting there. Like, I don't, I don't know. Why I'm not getting minutes? I don't know why I'm not getting time." Like, what, what did you expect from a coach, and what, what different versions did you see?
1: Uh, well, as a player, you expect no gray zone. Right. You expect black or white, like tell me this or tell me that no gray zone. And I played for some coaches that you lived in the gray zone. And that is the most frustrating thing ever, because like you said, you feel like you get frozen out and it wasn't just one player. I think most of the players feel that way. And generally, those teams aren't successful because players don't know their roles. They don't know where they stand the team the players that generally play the best in the situations understand their roles and they understand if they're not playing good just tell me yeah tell me what i got to do better tell me what i can do better don't just ignore me don't when we go for coffee in the morning not look at me you know yeah things like that like childish stuff like Mental, mental,
0: mental warfare type shit
1: yeah, and treat me as a human, and there's there's a ton of coaches like that, and there's a ton of really good coaches the other way, and there's some that are in between, but that for me was the part. I think every single NHLer I've ever played with and ever talked with, and I've played with multiple Hall of Famers, all they want to be told is no gray zone. Give me black or white. Tell me what it is. Don't don't bull, like don't bullshit me. That's it. And, and I I think then you can respect it. Right.
0: Yep. Well, I think if you have something tangible, then, you know, like, okay, I didn't get to that spot or, you know, like there's things to measure, like you can actually feel it and see it on paper or whatever. But when you're just like thinking, I just don't think this guy likes me or I, I I don't know what it is. And you're just in that headspace. That's hell. That has got to be hell.
1: It's easy for a coach not to like somebody. It really is. Right. Right. And maybe they don't like the, who you were traded for maybe they don't like exactly how you play compared to the guy that was in that position before, or maybe they want you to do something else or had an idea of who you were as a player prior to you getting there. And then that coach holds something against you. And it's almost like they cast you off before you're even playing. Right. So those situations do happen. They happen more than you'd like to admit. And they happen every single day in the game. But if that's the case, at least as a coach, If, if you're playing a certain way and he thinks by watching you in the past, you play better another way, have that conversation with him. tell him, or at least before he gets there or whatever, ask him what his strengths are and, and go through, you know, uh, through video or something of what you think his strengths are and the way he wants to play and the way he needs to play for you. If he's going to be successful or get the ice time that he thinks he deserves, just give direction, give advice. And don't bullshit them.
0: Yeah. Transparency. So, you know, it's clear to you what's what's going to happen. Yeah, I I think I think that's a pretty good lesson for life in general, man. It's like people quite often in life want to know where they stand and and where they fit. And when you can't get that clarity and you do feel lost and you just get I think it does get progressively worse. Like it's not like it just solves itself one day. I think it just – and then you start – I mean, I played on teams too where guys weren't getting minutes, and then they're like – they're bitching and moaning to two or three other guys about it, and then now more guys are roped into it, and it just becomes this thing where it's like, man, just go in and talk to this guy. But sometimes coaches don't want to give that up. It's like, wow. I don't owe you an explanation, so you'll play when you play. If you don't like it, you can hit the road. Do you think salary ever comes into it? you think a coach ever knows exactly what you make? And It's like, Christ, we're, we're paying that and a cap and stuff and da-da-da. Like, do you think that ever plays a role?
1: Oh, for sure. And especially, you know, in today's game where, well, even back then a bit too, but where players make significantly more than the assistant coaches especially. So I think at times the salary can play a factor in, you know, the coach's decision, whether he likes you or not. I think just your swagger in general, how you, you know, how you come to the rink. Does he like you as a person? Does he not? Sometimes maybe that can be, a factor in some situations on how he's going to play you like, that's just, I guess how it's going to be, but you, you hope it's not, you hope it's your ability. And yeah, I I don't know. I I think salary though, for sure would factor into some decisions, especially because they think they're getting a certain level of play from someone. And Uh, if he's not completely delivering that level of play, then especially in today's game, it's not like back in the day where um you kind of had to you could trade him off or do whatever. You kind of have to eat this guy's salary now because of the cap and all that. So it can create more heated tensions, I believe, today than it could back then.
0: For sure. Um the big thing I find for pro athletes and, and you see it at especially in NCAA, like at high level like football, basketball. The big thing has gotta be trying to weed out distractions, whether it's social media stuff, it's a party lifestyle, you make good money. What lessons did you learn along the way with regards to that stuff? Because I see the same thing in entertainment. It's like people start having a certain level of success and then you get caught up in all the other bullshit. And the next thing you know, everything falls apart. And it's sometimes it's a gradual erosion that happens over time. Sometimes it's just a, you know, one incident and boom, it's over. What was your approach to that like kind of like how to how to show up every day and get to get the job done what kind of stuff did you have to put in place to make sure you kind of kept all that other shit at bay
1: well first off our generation was the f- like the i guess the, the first generation of social media professional athletes like when i first started playing pro hockey there you know facebook just started and then twitter started a couple years later so we didn't know what social media really was. Right. So we didn't know, we thought it was evil, which it could be, but it also can be very beneficial if you, if you harness it and do the right things with it. Right. So I know for me, I turned it off right away. Just, I didn't want any public account because what if I tweet the wrong thing and someone, you know, now it's like they hate you because of you know what you tweeted. So I know for me, I tried to stay away from social media and just focus on hockey, whereas now I think I've learned about it and you, you kind of understand it more so like I have it now. I think the biggest thing for young players now is understanding your brand. And, right. and I believe every agency should have someone tied to a branding agency where those young players are starting to be able to brand themselves at a young age. And and teach them about you know because they know more about social media than we do now, but teach them how to you know make a product out of themselves and become brand brand aware and and marketable and all that. So that's on I think the agents and all that they they should do more of that now. I know they try to go out and do stuff um, whether get them sponsorships and so on, but really from a young age, start with their social medias, start getting uh, someone who can build a good social media page, a good following, understand who that person is. And for me, that just wasn't there then, but now we understand that. So me, it was just kind of not doing any of it, getting away from it and just focusing on hockey where I do believe now though, it is massive for these young players to have a brand attached to them and to be able to brand themselves. And that's where with the NHL, I've always said, why do the NHLers wear suits to games? It's the stupidest thing ever. Like you're completely taking these players out of being allowed to brand themselves. Every time a player steps off the bus or out of his car, it should be a red carpet from the rink, from, from there into the arena, just like the NBA, these NBA players, some of them have 5 million followers. Some of them, are not even the top players in the league, right? But they're there because they now know how to brand themselves. And the NHL, we're, we're going to let all these other sports keep plowing ahead while we stay stagnant unless we learn to be able to brand these young players better. So again, back to the agencies, back to the NHL. The NHL needs to do a better job at allowing these young players to brand themselves. The agents need to put brand-aware people in front of these young kids to teach them how to build a brand, stuff that we didn't get I know I've gone off on a tangent. No, no, that's good. This is, this is all the stuff that we didn't know then, which I, I wanted to stay away from. And a lot of guys in my generation wanted to because we didn't know what it was yeah. to where now we know what good it can do for somebody. So that's where I, I kind of think I am on my mindset with it now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess too, the whole suit thing, you take the individuality out of people, right? Like everyone's wearing a suit. Everyone looks yeah. the same. It's like,
1: it's the stupidest thing ever.
0: Everyone's got the Tim Hortons coffee. It's like, yeah. all right. Okay.
1: No one sees, no one yeah. sees you walk into the rink with a suit on. Yeah. Like, like it's the bus driver. That's it. So why not create another revenue stream for these players? Right. Why not? Yeah. Like there's no, there's no fan on earth that's not going to watch hockey because Austin Matthews walked in and a Toronto Raptors and Jordans, right? Right. But you know what? It might gravitate other fans to watch the game because they're like, wow, I like how this guy dresses. Let's see what he's actually doing, you know, on the ice. So allow these guys to branch out, be more individuals. That's just the way it is. Like we talked about at the start of this, it's about content. It's about this. The NHL is going to get, we, I always worry that we're going to keep getting more left in the dust unless we start to, find more ways like this to become bigger because these guys are the best athletes, I believe.
0: Well, it's interesting too, that, you know, they've gone to like, you know, ads on jerseys and stuff, but that's not something they've explored. Right. It's like, you're fine with putting like a, a logo of whatever on a Jersey, you know, potentially, but you don't want players to be able to just, you know, do their thing, I guess, cause it's more team revenue versus yeah. players having an opportunity to brand. Right. So,
1: but if, if, Coca- if uh, Nike sees, Connor McDavid or Adidas sees Connor McDavid continually repping their product, more kids buying this product, that's just gonna attract more money to the NHL, right? It'll, it'll become and it'll trickle down. So for sure.
0: All right, dude. Well, I know you gotta get going. Um, what's up next for you? What's what's going on? Further work on the old biz or uh you you just doing the old timer hockey circuit and then uh TV hits and radio hits? What's what's on the agenda?
1: Uh, basically again, just, uh, I'm involved in the startup. I think I did, we talked about it at the start with, yeah. uh, with my two brothers and, um, my buddy who's a coach down for the Lethbridge Hurricanes. Um, it's a, it'll be a par- it'll be a coach and player app, um, parent nice. and pretty excited about where that's going. So learning about how to build a new team, you know, it's just, it's been a new experience for myself and, um, for my family. Uh, so hopefully this can go as well as we like to think our product is, and and learn how to, um, I guess, become a salesman. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I should expect to knock on my door at some point. It's like, yeah, hey, Chris Prestige here. I've got this app. You uh, you guys up for it? I don't want to be kids, but sure, sign me up. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, Who cares? yeah,
1: yeah. It's plug and well, play. I'll I'll put you on the front of the pitch deck.
0: Perfect. Awesome. yeah Look forward to it. narrator.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it in a bunch of different languages. I'll
0: do it like in the Newfoundland accent. I'll do uh, like Albertan, like kind of more rural, you know what I mean? And uh, it'll, it'll fly. It'll fly off the shelves. There's no doubt about that. Uh, dude, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. I know we got messed up with schedules and stuff and this whole Zoom thing, but we figured it out. So I appreciate your time and uh, enjoy the rest of the week
1: yeah next time you want to do this again give me like a month notice so we can get and figured out.
0: <laughs> let's book it now follow up and book it for next this time next year we should have the shit figured out by the time yeah perfect
1: right. yeah thank bye, you bye. very much
0: cheers bud take care yeah
1: Bye.